Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and a planet. My name is Kevin Fulton, and today we're going to do a bookend interview to the interview a few weeks ago with Dr. Stuart Strand. And if you remember, Dr. Strand uh, presented ideas about indoor air detoxification, about engineering plants with enzymes that would actually break down indoor air contaminants that were potentially carcinogenic. This is another project that Dr. Strand was involved with, but uh, the major contributors to the project are over at University of York. Uh, And today we're going to speak with Dr. Liz Rylott. She's a senior research fellow at the Center of Novel Agricultural Products at the University of York. So welcome to the podcast, Liz. Hello, Kevin. Nice to be invited. Oh, this is really cool. I I was really excited to see um, these papers that you sent to me so kindly that I've heard about this kind of work for a long time and uh, never really was able to dig into it to any depth. But the basic idea is that you're also involved in this idea of using enzymes in, well, enzymes from somewhere else in plants. So moving genes to plants that can detoxify specific environmental hazards. So tell me about the problem that your group chose to take on. Or better yet, let's start out by telling me who is in the group who has done most of this work and where did the funding come from? Oh, okay. Thank you, Kevin. Um, So there's myself and um, Professor Neil Bruce here at the University of York. And together we've been working on this project with other colleagues for for over two decades now. Um, Our colleagues in in the US include Stuart Strand and Long Zhang at the University of Washington. You've already spoken with Stuart. And Tim Carey at the Cold Regions Research and Engineering Laboratory. Very good. And so where did the funding come from for the project? Well, the funding um, originally was from the Strategic Environmental Research and Development Program, CERDIP, and and later as well, the Environmental Security Technology Certification Program, so the ESTCP, a little bit from the UK Defence and the UK government as well. And, And they've all been extremely supportive of the work. I can understand why. It's a really interesting problem. So why don't you explain to us what is the problem that your group set out to solve? Okay, well, it's it's a curious one, perhaps, but um, maybe people don't realize this, but um, explosives used on military training ranges and around the world are are, are actually very toxic compounds. And often when uh, the explosives are used, detonated, or during the manufacturing or decommissioning processes, um, there are contaminants that enter our, our environment, our ecosystem. So the two that we really work on, I think people will probably have heard of TNT, from uh, cartoons, perhaps, when they're, when they're children, um, and also something called RDX. And so these are the, the major explosives that are used in, in military um, munitions. And uh, they're also extremely toxic, and they are accumulating in the environment now and are of concern. And our project is to try and look at ways we can use plants to remediate these compounds from the environment. Mm. 
you're really dealing with two different compounds here, your RDX and TNT. How are they different with respect to, uh, say, their accumulation in the environment or their accumulation within the plant? Oh, well, that's, that's a good question because the two compounds are very different. So TNT is taken up predominantly into the roots of the plant where it binds quite tightly like a toxic Velcro, whereas RDX, it's taken very readily up by the plant into the aerial tissues, the leaves and shoots. Uh, but once it enters the soil, it runs like, like gravy for your mashed potatoes and it's straight down into the groundwater and affects downstream sources. So um, that's a real uh, environmental concern. And so how do they actually get into the environment? I understand they're toxic compounds, but you know, you, you mentioned decommissioning and stuff, but it doesn't seem like it's, uh, I mean, is it really that much of a problem? Um, it really is quite, quite, quite a big problem. Uh, so, for example, the, the U.S. Um, Environmental Protection Agency have, have recently, or, or a little while ago perhaps, restricted the use of live munitions on some of the military training ranges in the U.S. where contamination in the groundwater is becoming an increasingly um, concerning issue. Okay, and, and is it just an extreme cost of cleanup in a lot of cases too? Well, also, um, a, a big problem often is that uh, when the munitions are detonated, you get incomplete uh, detonation of all of the explosives and the residual uh, components can go out into the ground and you get contamination that way too. And if you think about the military training ranges, these cover uh, an extraordinarily large area of the US. And so you have hot spots of contamination over, over very large areas, which makes treatment specific treatment very difficult. You can't dig it up and move it somewhere. You, you need something that's going to be very cheap and easy to roll out over a large area. And how much risk is there to human beings from these compounds? Is it really just people on those ranges or is it something that can spread either by groundwater or wind or something like that? Well, well these compounds in the laboratory, we know that they're carcinogenic. They're toxic. They're persistent to uh, degradation in the environment. So these really things aren't these aren't compounds that we want in the environment. Uh, they're also affecting uh, places like aquifers and groundwater, which could ultimately have the potential to uh, contaminate drinking water. And that is a serious concern. We, re we really don't want to be there. But according to your papers, plants take up RDX pretty well, right? And TNT. So are, 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 these, are plants good um, stewards of phytoremediation? Plants are, are fantastic. I, I'm obviously a, a big fan, but they have a, many different attributes that make them uh, highly suitable for remediating contamination in our environment. There, there are lots of different species. They have deep penetrating roots. They can improve the ecology of the environment by bringing in other species as well, like uh, birds and animals. Uh, and, and aesthetically, they, they look pleasing. I don't think anybody's ever, ever upset if you introduce plants onto a contaminated area. Um, but the problem is that although plants will take up RDX, they have very little or no inherent RDX degrading abilities themselves. So the RDX will simply come up into the leaves and then during senescence as the leaves grow old and die and fall back to the ground, the RDX will ba enter back into the system. <laughs> I guess that would be a problem because you're not really getting rid of it. You're just moving it to another place. And, and so th does it pose a problem, though, when you have plants that accumulate RDX that may be consumed by wildlife or by, say, humans? Well, uh, that, that isn't something that's being heavily looked into, but uh, it's, it's never a good thing to be introducing uh, xenobiotics on, on you know, non-natural compounds into plants, which are then open to herbivory in the environment. But I must say that um, 
this, these compounds have only been in the environment for the last 60 years or so. And so um, our, our flora and fauna haven't really had the chance to evolve the ability to fully metabolize these compounds. But nature has got some of the way. So there are bacteria that have developed the ability to degrade RDX. And that was the key to uh, the breakthrough in our project, because we were able to take the genes from these bacteria and put them into the plants. Ah, and so there's the biotechnology angle. So let's take a break here. And when we come back from the break, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Liz Rylott. She's a senior research fellow at the University of York over in the UK. And we're talking about plants which have the ability to remediate the residuals of explosives, which are a significant issue when it comes to human and environmental health. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. We'll be back in just a minute. If you've been reading on the internet lately, you know that the question has been raised about how the Talking Biotech podcast is funded. I can see why. I mean, this would come up again and again. It's a high-quality, professionally produced podcast like this. must depend on deep pockets from some major agricultural concern. I'm not sure they're getting your sarcasm on that. I, I certainly can vouch for the fact that this is a volunteer effort. As the booth announcer for the Talking Biotech podcast, I get a lousy cup of coffee and I pick up the donuts from the box that Kevin doesn't want. That's it. But that's okay. This enterprise is not about making a buck. It's about sharing science. The podcast is 100% funded by Folda personally. And no outside funding is considered. Go ahead. Try us. Send us a check for a million dollars and see if you don't get it right back. The real payment for the effort is the flood of kind words, the growing numbers of downloads, and the great questions that we get from listeners like you. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're talking with Dr. Liz Rylott. She's a senior research fellow at the University of York in the UK. And uh, she's working with a group that is using biotechnology to uh, remediate and break down, ultimately, the residuals of explosives that are persistent in the environment and pose a human health or an animal health and environmental hazard. So tell us more about the bacteria that can break down the different compounds. Okay, well... The soil uh, contains an enormous amount of different different species of uh, bacteria and, and many other different organisms too. It, it's a very rich source of uh, biotechnological uh, tools uh, and all the different genetic uh, material that's available there. So uh, we were able to take soil that was contaminated with RDX and uh, use this as a starter culture to isolate bacteria that could only grow on RDX as the sole nitrogen source. So that was fed into the flasks to, to hopefully try and identify bacteria that, that could break down this compound. Uh, so over the course of our studies, we identified um, a bacterium called Rhodococcus rhodocrus, uh, which is a, a lovely uh, little bacterium. It's kind of an orangey color. And, and then we found that that would use this compound RDX as a nitrogen source. And then we looked into its genome when we isolated the genes XPLA, which is a cytochrome P450 reductase, if you want the technical bits, and a reductase XPLB. 
And so we, we took those genes and studied them further. And are the same genes also breaking down TNT? No, TNT was, is slightly different. So, so RDX, we've been able to uh, isolate an organism that can break down RDX completely so it can mineralize it. So it's one of those old adages, it's not making bombs from fertilizer, but, but the bacteria are using the, the bombs as a food source. Um, so with the RDX, it's a very clean story. The TNT, the chemical structure, is, is much harder to, um, to break down. Uh, it, it's chemically very resistant as well. We found bacteria that can detoxify TNT and then they can turn it into other compounds which are less toxic and can then be absorbed elsewhere into the plants. Uh, the plant or the bacterium can, can sequester those, those components away. Uh, so we found a gene, a nitroreductase, that will um, detoxify TNT, and that's from an Enterobacter cloacae, which is another soil bacterium. And we've taken the gene from that, the nitroreductase, and we've put that into plants as well. And so the, the primary work was done in Arabidopsis, or what was the way that you were able to demonstrate proof of concept that these two genes, or that these genes, were in fact able to be used in the remediation of RDX? Yeah, you're correct. We did use Arabidopsis. It's, it's a fantastic model plant species for this kind of technology. So we put these two genes, the XBLA and B, into Arabidopsis. And separately, we put the nitroreductase in as well. And I, I can still remember the happy days in the lab when we saw the results coming off the machines, showing that these, these plants were indeed taking up these, these compounds in the media. It, it was an amazing experience. One of those few days you get in the lab when you're just so happy. Yeah, it was good to see. Yeah, I, I appreciate that sentiment. I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear here because you you have this hypothesis. It takes a long time to make those plants and get them ready to go. And when they actually do what you think they're going to do, sometimes even better. <laughs> That's always a really nice moment. Well, it was that too, because later in our soil studies, we found that the plants actually, just as the bacteria had done, that they used the nitrogen source from the RDX to enable them to grow more quickly than, than plants without RDX. And so that was an unexpected bonus. Oh, yeah, that's really cool, too. So how does this work when you uh, place them into plants that may have uh, some sort of realistic capacity to be deployed in a military base or on some sort of land to remediate these kinds of chemicals? Uh -huh. Yeah, that's a good point. So Arabidopsis, I'm not sure if, if your listeners uh, would know this, but it, it's a plant that's quite a, a small lettuce-like crispy plant. And you couldn't, you could not drive a tank over this plant at all. So we, uh, we quickly <laughs> had to look around for some, some plants that would, would do well on the training ranges. And Tim Carey there was, was very helpful with, um, some suggested plants. And we looked at the wheatgrasses, western wheatgrass, slender, uh, wheatgrass, but also, um, switchgrass too. So switchgrass is a biomass crop and a lot of work had been done recently, uh, to, to find out ways to transform it to be able to put genes into switchgrass and and the protocols have been published and that helped our research a lot too because we were able to use these protocols to get our genes into the switchgrass whereas more recently it took a lot longer but um, we were able to develop protocols this was Stuart and, and Long's work in the University of Washington to develop protocols to transform the western wheatgrass as well which has really helped. I guess the other question that people always have is that if you're using some sort of a uh, enzyme, an exogenous enzyme, in this case from bacteria, in plants to break down a toxic compound, what are you breaking it down to? Are you creating something that could be worse or something else that needs to be um, accounted for metabolically? 
Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And we have already done a number of tests to try and identify what, what kind of compounds are being produced. So originally, we did a lot of work studying the enzymes themselves in vitro to see exactly what the components, the breakdown products were, and we're able to identify all of those. And these enzymes themselves will break down uh, RDX to compounds like formaldehyde. But the plant itself will then use those compounds and its own endogenous genes to break enzymes to break down those compounds further. So in the plant itself, we've not been able to detect any of the products that we know would be produced by that single enzyme. We know that um, other plant enzymes are, are more than likely then taking those steps and breaking those products down further so that the the compound essentially mineralized. Oh, very good. It just becomes part of plant metabolism once it's in that one carbon form and just moves right into normal metabolic pathways, right? It that seems like it's almost turning turning it into fertilizer. Yeah, it, it's just the kind of holy grail of, of remediation of organic compounds. That, you know, there's some tough organic compounds out there to break down. To find you know enzymes that will do this is, is really, really a holy grail. <laughs> well, how, how much is this technology realistically uh, deployed right now or does it look like something that would be deployed in the near future? Oh, I'd love to see this rolled out. But first, a really important step is to do field trials. And we have just finished um, a, a long field trial in the US uh, on a military training range. And we've got some really promising results back from that. So um, yeah, yeah, that was really tough to do. I think working in the laboratory, you can control absolutely everything all the environmental factors. But when you move out onto the range, we had record rainfalls, we had winds, oh, you wouldn't believe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was very challenging. That's where our partner, Tim Carey, worked very, very hard there. He, he was an absolute star at pulling that, that whole field trial study together. He did a brilliant job. Well, it's always it always changes everything, right? Because of environmental flux that can alter the results of your of your trials but but did the results appear promising in the field as well they did they seem very promising uh it's a tricky thing because uh switchgrass is an enormous plant uh naturally it you know it's taller than a man when it's growing out in in the field and to say that you're going to do a field trial in in lined plots to a a limited depth it's it's difficult and expensive to, to dig all these plots out and you are limiting the plant's growth so um if it was actually grown out loose on the field, I, th- I think the potential would be would be even even better. And yeah, because this is one of those technologies, like many of the other uh, technologies, like the ones that uh, Doctor Strand talked about, where this isn't a food crop. It isn't a um, something that's going to be you know that the average person's going to be you know running into every day. It's actually doing a good job at cleaning up the environment. Do you think that? Examples like this have the potential to change public opinion on genetic engineering in plants. Oh wow! I wish. I really hope so. Uh, I'm, I'm at the coal face of this technology, and, and I understand a lot of it. And I, I see the potential is is enormous. Um, nature has got a lot of the way towards cleaning up this particular compound, and but you know we're just just using what's already there and just tweaking it slightly and we understand what we're doing we know these genes we know the sequences and we see what we're putting in and we test them rigorously um that there's no other way that this these areas are getting cleaned up that we don't have an answer uh nobody wants this in their drinking water and what else can we do so whereas people say 
well, I don't agree with GM, they, they don't have an answer for cleaning this, this toxic compound up. So I think it's an extremely good example. Yeah. Well, this is really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Talking Biotech podcast. If people wanted to know more about you and your program and, and more about this really interesting use of technology, where can they find out more? Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's a great opportunity to talk about my science. Um, you can find me on my Twitter handle at Liz Rylott. And if you search for, for myself or, or Neil Bruce at the University of York, you can find a lot more information from our websites too. Good. And I should spell that. It would For your Twitter uh, username, it would be at L-I-Z-R-Y-L-O-T-T, -T, right? correct. <laughs> I just want to make sure I get it exactly right. I think it's the kind of thing where people would be very interested to uh, keep an ear to the rail on what is a really interesting use of technology. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Kevin. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. As always, write a review on iTunes. All of them are looking pretty good. And uh, tell a friend. Uh, share the science that we're trying to share with you. Help us amplify the reach of this particular work. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.